Welcome to Swim, Bike, Run the Planet. This is Jill. Hey guys, and this is Keith. We're back with another fantastic episode that I really hope you guys are going to love. We have been away for a little too long, and we apologize for that. We've had a lot of things going on in the last couple of weeks and months, and wanted to make sure we had time to bring you great episodes, and finally, I think we're back and ready to do that. Absolutely. And... It has been the off-season for triathlon, so we don't have a whole lot of race info for you, but we do have some races coming up. We have Ironman Puerto Rico coming up on Sunday, and we do have our local Great Claremont race coming up on Saturday, which I am participating in the Olympic. Woohoo! Uh, so speaking of the Puerto Rico, um, is that a full or is that a half iron? That is a 70.3, so a half iron man. Okay, got you. That sounds fun. I think anybody that's going down to the island should have a great time. Hopefully the weather cooperates. It's been beautiful so far, so certainly looking forward to that. And we hope those of you that are going have a wonderful race. We know you've trained hard for it, and it's always fun to finally get the reward of race day. Absolutely. So, you know, make sure you got all your good things before you get on the plane. Then when you get down there, make sure your bike is locked and ready to go. Get your shoes on and just have fun and enjoy getting in that beautiful warm weather and that awesome ocean and everything else that's going to go down down there and enjoy some of those hills because i hear they have got a lot of them this week we're going to talk about bikes so what type of bikes are we going to talk about i'm thinking let's just cover the spectrum from the top to the bottom let's just make sure everybody understands because i know there's a lot of different types of bikes out there on the market now and people probably have a lot of questions i know i even have some questions and i love just going into the bike shops and getting to see some of the new things that these guys have going on And that is a great thing because one of the things that is going on with all the technology we have access to is bikes just keep getting better and better. Yeah, they're getting almost ridiculous. I mean, we're we're getting to the point where some of these things almost can just go by themselves. Quite literally, if we start talking about what the the e-bikes, I mean, they literally have a motor on them. They do. And it's even crazier because I don't think a couple years ago anybody would have thought this, but there is actually a road bike out there that weighs 11 pounds. 11 pounds that's it that's it so i mean i know that's full carb is that carbon everything i mean what what is on that bike that even weighs that much that is ridiculous it is the lightest carbon out there and they have a paint that's called vapor coat it is a very thin layer of paint to get the color to make it that light so even the paint is lightweight on this this might as well just call this the diet bike Yes. This is ridiculous. Don't get caught in a crosswind on that bike. You may have a problem. Don't. I feel bad for anybody that wears a loose-fitting jersey while riding that. They're going to be flying Mary Poppins style down the side of a mountain. It's going to be ridiculous. So back onto that, though. So, I mean, that's the thing I love about this sport is that we are seeing so much variety out there because there really are. Now, whether or not you're actually competing or if you're just out enjoying yourself, I mean, there's so many things. I think all of us grew up having a mountain bike as a kid. And then as adults, we, we sort of see cruisers and other stuff. And, you know, we, we've now seen a lot of hybrids for inner city travel. I mean, people are on those all the time. Yes, and the hybrids are great for that because you never know what you're going to run into in your city travel, whether you'll have to take a detour on the grass or just go somewhere that has some bumpier sidewalk that those little bit thicker tires are going to get you through. Yeah, because, I mean, you don't want to hit anything crazy. But the nice thing about that is they still travel pretty fast. I mean, they're, they're faster certainly than a fat-tired bike, uh, but they're not quite a road bike. You're not bent over. You're not uncomfortable on them. You still got a lot of options. You know, And I just mentioned the, the other one that is relatively new um, in a lot of ways. I mean, I know e-bikes and uh, motorcycles and those type of things have been around for a long time but what we're seeing now is really kind of a trend of these very efficient ones that sort of do pedal assist and a lot of cool stuff like that 
Yes, the pedal assist is amazing because it's basically the bike has a battery in the bike. It's not like the older e-bikes you see where people buy the motors and you see a huge battery pack on the bike. The bike companies have actually figured out how to install the battery into the frame so you don't have to have that extra bulk and you're still able to go. And some of these bikes go up to 28 miles an hour without a lot of effort. Which is hilarious to just think you may just be pedaling along, hit the switch, and go ahead and just pass an entire peloton of grade A riders that got their heads down and are looking at you trying to figure out what you're doing and how you just did that. And I do know a couple people that have had fun doing that. They get they purposely took an e-bike, went out to where they knew a group ride would be going up a hill, and the bike looked very similar to a hybrid. And they went and passed all the road bike riders that were in a group and beat them up the hill. Now that's just dirty. Uh, and we do want to point out a very important thing. Those are absolutely not USAT regulated or allowed by any means. You cannot use one of those in a triathlon. Yes, and as and as another thing, just because we all ha- are prideful, do not go out and claim King of the Mountains on Strava on those. You know, that's a really good point. Come on. I, I hope that if you're listening to this and you're into that inclusive environment around triathlons and biking, don't be that guy. Nobody wants to be that guy. In fact, if anybody finds out that you are doing something, they're probably going to report it, and you're going to end up getting everything that you've had stripped away and wiped out of your accounts. Just just don't do that. Make sure you're getting it right. There's no advantage of saying you're king of the mountain on 15 segments if you know you didn't get it yourself. Just be realistic. And, the e- and using the e-bike does not count whether you were pedaling or not, because we all work very hard on our regular bikes for those. Don't go out there and cheapen it. I wouldn't know, because I don't think I've ever held King of the Mountain for any segment I've ever been on, because we live down here in Florida, and these people are fast. They are. I've never held Queen of the Mountain either, but I still hope for it one day. True. I think I might have a better shot on my mountain bike, which I guess let's talk about those real quick, because those have changed drastically from when we were kids. Like, I remember racing them when I was younger, and then I got on the new one, you know, what, what we got them a little over a year ago now. And yes. wow, the technology has changed so much. Like, back then, there was there was some idea about having um, shock absorbers. They weren't anywhere near, like, what we're riding today. I mean, these things are just comfortable, and they are meant to just get pounded. And I think the other big thing on the mountain bikes, and it is starting to make its way to road bikes, is the disc brakes. Yes, I think so. And if you guys have not had disc brakes, you're probably used to the little rubber ones that grab the rim going around. Um, two things. One, there's nothing wrong with those. Two, if you ever had your tire completely slick with mud, grab that and realize that your wheel is not stopping and that tree is getting closer to you really fast, you will be very happy to have a disc brake. They tend to not slip. The disc brakes do stop on a dime and it caused me to go over my handlebars once, but I think that's part of learning to mountain bike. <laughs> that is very true. I remember that quite clearly. It was very comical to watch and that was a very good lesson in why you don't grab all front brake even when you need to stop very quickly because that was as entertaining as it was to see you do a complete reverse wheelie with your tire in the air. It was a little panicky to watch you go face first into the dirt right over the handlebars. I landed on my helmet though and all was good. <laughs> that's true. That's why you always wear a helmet. I think that has to be safety rule number one. Always wear a helmet. If you don't have a helmet on and you're on a mountain bike, get, get off the mountain bike. Come on. Set, set a good example for the kids around you. Put, put the helmet on. You're not impressing anybody not. Believe me, you'll be a lot less impressive if you end up having to spend six months eating apples out of a straw. Put the helmet on. Pay attention to what you're doing and be safe out there. And really, anytime you're on a bike, whether it's a cruiser or a mountain bike, you should have a helmet on just because you never know. That's true. And that also means if you're in the car and you're not on the bike, be looking for bikes. We know that a lot of people out there do dumb things. And 
believe me, cyclists are not immune to from that in the slightest. Pay attention, help you know, just help save lives and try to make sure that you're not gonna make anybody a statistic. One of my favorite things I ever saw about that is teach your kids to count bicycles as one of the car games. Yeah, that's a great idea because as they get older, they're more aware of that. And it starts to be ingrained with them. And the other thing, too, speaking of that, believe me, the kids in the backseat are watching how you're driving. If you're not yielding to the bicyclists in the crosswalk or you're doing all, cutting them close, kids are seeing that. And guess what? They're going to repeat that behavior when they start driving as well. So I got one more thing I want to talk about before we move into the world of triathlons, where we get into a lot more of the road bikes, the traditional road bikes, and ultimately, you know, triathlon bikes and some of these just extremely amazing machines that are out there. Uh, Let's talk about recumbents, because I think a lot of people are seeing them more and more than they ever have in the past. And I think there's a lot of questions around them, just trying to understand even, okay, what's it feel like to sit down and pedal? How do I even look look for one of those? What's going on in that sort of technology? Where can I ride them? Where can I can't? Where am I allowed to ride them? What can I ride them doing? You know, just sort of all that different types of stuff like that. So the great part about recumbents is they are very comfortable. It's like riding a big wheel when you were a kid. (laughs) That sounds awesome. I still remember going down giant hills and crashing at the bottom in glorious fashion. I wouldn't recommend that on a recumbent, though. (laughs) No, definitely not. But it is nice, and it is nice because for people that have a lot of back problems or knee issues, it is a little bit different position, and they're still able to ride. Yeah, they look a lot more comfortable. So, I mean, there's really, what, two different types of those that we see out there. We we see the traditional two-wheel, where your legs are sort of up and you're almost in a reclined position, and then you've got the other ones where you're actually more three-wheeled and you're actually on the ground, right? Yes, and the three wheels are becoming more and more popular. Yeah, and I can understand why. They look like a lot of fun. I've actually only sat in one once, and I can tell you just from sitting in it, I was kind of excited and really wanted to take it out on the road and try riding it somewhere. The biggest drawback I had at the time, and this is one thing I do want to caution people looking at those, they're big. So make sure you've got a vehicle that can transport those things. Or the higher end ones do fold. So Even though they're folded, they're still pretty big. This is true. So, And they are definitely not lightweight. No, they are not light. Yeah, if you're looking for a 20-pound bike, that is not your that is not the answer you want to find. You want to find something else. But they do look like they're a lot of fun. I know a lot of people are riding them. And I think that they do provide a really great alternative for people who have those knee issues, who have those back issues. I mean, I'm one of those people. I... I can get out to about 20 miles on a road bike relatively comfortable. But the last time we did, you know, even at 50, I was I was feeling pretty rough the next day. And the ability to, to ride on something and be able to put in a lot of miles and still have fun and be out there is definitely a great advantage. And I think, you know, it's not just sort of something that the, um, you know, retirees are looking at. I'm starting to see more and more younger crowds and people looking at them and really enjoying them. And to add to that, these were people on recumbent bikes are not slow. There are people that I have had to struggle to pass on my road bike that we're doing 15, 16 miles an hour on these. Yeah, they can definitely get up into the middle teens relatively easily and stay there. I mean, they they will go. And because they're low to the ground, they're really arrow. So even on those windy days, they tend to be pretty true and pretty straight. I think the best thing to do if you're interested in one of those, uh, most of your bicycle shops will have at least one on occasion. And there are other places. If you just ask the guys at the bicycle shop, they'll tell you who has them if you want to go and check one of those out. And 
a lot of places might even let you rent one out to, to take it somewhere for a day to, to make sure it is something that you want. And if you watch the store's Facebook page or any social media, sometimes the stores that sell them do have what's called a demo day, where they bring extra in specifically for you to try. Yeah, take advantage of demo day. Even if you're not in the market, go out there and ride it, because that is a great way to get to know the people in your community who are riding, and to get to ride some really awesome bikes and see some of these other products and get an idea of what you like. I mean, because that's probably the biggest thing. Before we get into the road bikes... You know, I think the key of all of this is we want everybody to be out there, we want everybody to have fun, but in order to do that and do it consistently, you've got to be comfortable. Comfort is the number one thing, and not only on the bike, but with your bike shop, because the bike is an investment, and you need the people that work there, that you're comfortable with them, and they're comfortable with you. Yeah, having a good mechanic is incredibly important, especially if we're starting to get into kind of like we are down here in Florida right now, tri-season's coming. Remember, like, what, your first triathlon is next week, I believe. Next Saturday. And your bike was in the shop getting its sort of pre-season tune-up last week. Yes, it was. I mean, this is the time of year to do that, and it's good to be able to just know everything's good to go on that bike and ready to go, because it, it's sort of, I mean, they are, especially now, as, as we said, we're going to talk about them now as we're getting into the road bike and the tri-bikes. These are finely tuned machines. And a little bit of things being out of place are not something you're going to notice riding it, but it's absolutely something you're going to feel in the middle of the race you're going to see on the clock. And it will mess with it will mess with your time if your bike's not tuned up to the way it should be. And I also recommend when you're taking your bike in, take it like I did two to three weeks out, especially right now because the weather's starting to get nice a lot of places. Everybody has the same idea, whether they're racing or not. Everybody's pulling their bikes out of the garage and saying, hey, check these over for safety. We want to get them out. Yeah, and it's always good just to get it looked at too, because especially those of you up north who have had to have your bike indoors for a while, things shift, things adjust, cables get a little bit slack in them. You know, just, it's just good to go ahead and go through that just to make sure everything is good to go the last thing you want to do is to get out there on one of your first good days of spring, get a great ride going, get 20, 30 miles out there, and realize suddenly you got a mechanical problem. And and now you're trying to call an Uber to come get you. You're calling your buddies, and they're wondering, you rode your bicycle where? And you're suddenly going to have to explain what type of crazy person you actually are to do those types of things. So just avoid that altogether. Get your bike checked out. So let's talk about some road bikes. Sounds good. All right. So talk to me about the different types of road bikes, I guess, first of all, because... Now, I'm, I think everybody at this point has seen a triathlon or an Ironman or at least the Tour de France. So, I mean, we, we all know what we're talking about when we say road bike. Well, I think the first thing to talk about is that if you've never gone in a specialty bike shop, if you've only seen bikes in Walmart or Dick's Sporting Goods or any of the department stores, going in a specialty bike shop, you're going to have a little bit of sticker shock. You're going to have a lot of sticker shock. Let's, let's be honest there. But this is probably one of those places more so than just about anything else I've ever done. You get what you pay for in the bicycling world. If you stay on the cheap side, there's nothing wrong with that. We understand everybody's on a budget. You're going to feel that. The same way as if you're able to go ahead and put down some extra money and get a bike that you really want, you're going to be happier on that, and it's going to probably pay off for you by the end of the time. And I will say my current bike is the best investment I have ever made in my life. <laughs> yeah, well, that's because your bike is amazing. Anybody that wants to see that, all right, let's go ahead and let the cat out of the bag on that one because I'm sure everybody, not maybe not following us, so you have a, it's what, it's a Trek Madone? Correct. It is a 2018 Trek Madone. Project One. Project One, so custom paint, and it does have electronic shifting. Now, anybody that wonders about that custom paint part uh, Jill threw on there, believe me, if you're in Central Florida, you've probably seen this bike. It's 
bright yellow, and you have probably seen her zooming around at some point on this thing. And this bike is absolutely amazing. It's definitely a pride and joy. Um, if they wanted to follow you and actually see some pictures of this thing, I think we've got a few on the blog. Uh, check that out at swimbikerontheplanet.com. Or where else can they find you? We do have, I did do have a video on our YouTube channel and it's still up there and it shows everything about it. Yeah, you actually walk through a little bit of that E-tab shifting, right? Yes, I do. Which I think is a great thing because, I mean, first of all, those of you who are just coming into this, who remember the shifting on the dials with the numbers, that that's that's long gone. You know, now the shifting's up in the handlebars, just click in, click out, things like that. It takes a little bit of time to get used to, but the E-tab shifting is a whole, I mean, that's a whole other thing. You want Go ahead and explain just a second on what that even is. So the first really cool thing about the ETAP is it's wireless. So you don't have to deal with derailleur cables, which is a huge thing for maintenance. And it's electronic, so you just have two little batteries to shift. The shifting is super smooth, makes the ride super smooth, super fun, and super comfortable. Yeah, and it also takes a lot of the strain out of the shift as well. Uh, the one part of that is they are batteries, so make sure you're charging them. Don't don't show up at a triathlon and realize you have a dead battery in one of your shifters because you can't manually shift these things at that point. You might but be able to get it into one gear, and that's what you're riding your entire race in. Correct. But the nice thing about it is, is your rear derailleur, because you shift in the rear more than you do in the front, is probably going to go first. So if you do find yourself in that situation, the batteries are super easy to switch. You can switch your front and rear derailleur. That is a great tip that I did not even know about myself, and probably would have just thought, oh crap, I guess I'm riding this in my big wheel or my little wheel, and let's, let's hope my legs stay under me. But that's actually a great idea to be able switch it around that way oh wait that's right i don't have the super fancy shifting online and i don't have to worry about that but the other great thing is is that i also have a garmin computer that i put on my bike and the electronic shifting attaches is connected to the garmin and it comes up and says when the batteries are critical what it means when the batteries are critical is that you probably have about 30 times to shift left to shift left on that battery power before you need to charge which i don't think i want to be counting that down doing the horrible hundred though that, that sounds like a terrible idea. That's what I was going to say. That is not a lot, especially if you're hill climbing, because Garmin will let you count the shifts, and it is kind of fun to go in and be like, oh, I climbed hills and shifted like 500 times. You know, that is a fun one, though, that we do talk about a, a little bit, but we don't spend enough time on. People, if you're out here riding, unless you happen to be on the world's flattest track, shift. Shift a lot. Get used to that. Feel the shifting underneath there. And don't wait to shift until your legs are on fire. Get used to shifting and, and shift around quite a bit. I mean, I would say, you said you actually can count. Do you have any idea on average, Joe, when you're doing your hill climb? I mean, how many times do you shift over a 20-mile ride? If I'm climbing hills, I shift three to four times on a hill, on one hill. Just one hill, yeah. So I said, I know so many people that think, nope, I'm in my gear, my climbing gear, and I'm going to climb this mountain. It's like, no, don't do that. Shift around. Find gears that work for you. Get up out of your seat. Attack it. If you're only riding in one gear, you're only hurting yourself. You need to shift around in there and find some comfort and find the places that you can best attack from. In my opinion, there is no specific climbing gear. It's a different cl gear for every hill. Right. I mean, I think if you're talking, the only way I would really understand a climbing gear at all may be... Hey, I'm about to climb a hill. I better get out of the big ring in the front. Correct. I don't think there's one specific gear you can say, this is what I'm going to climb in. It goes back to, you need to shift and find what's comfortable for you, especially if you're racing and you are close enough to ride the race course. Yeah, and I think that's another great point, too, because you've got, you're talking about, you've got the Olympic triathlon next week. We're talking about friends of ours doing Puerto Rico in a week or so. 
as you get into those later miles, don't be afraid or don't get mad at yourself that you, know, you need to shift down a little bit more and find a different gear. I mean, there's a big difference between climbing that hill at mile 7 and climbing climbing that hill at mile 35. Absolutely. And it's just how you feel and what's going on. There's no militant, I need to be here and here and here to shift. Right. And if you can get one of those little Garmin computers, those things are definitely um, good investments. They tell you a lot of great stats. Uh, many of them have directions on them as well. So you're not trying to dig out your phone and everything else. So they're just, they're very handy. And Jill did say something that I think is a really key point. Um, if you're going to be able to ride the course before the race is always a big plus. Have an idea of what's going on. Have an idea of what's ahead, especially from a safety perspective. We were at a race last year. Matter of fact, I think it was over in Claremont where there was a woman I watched come down a hill aggressively. There was a sharp turn at the bottom that she clearly didn't know about, and she didn't make the turn. And she that was the end of her day, matter of fact. She she ended up being okay. She walked away. She was very cut up. She was very bruised, very sore, I'm sure, for several days after. The bike was okay. But that was the end of her day because she was just... She got flying down a hill, and she decided she was going you know all out for the win, and she shouldn't have. So if you get a chance to ride ahead of time... Know your course. You know, that's just simple preparation. Be aware of that. And if you don't have a chance to or you don't know it, definitely pick and choose your places where you're going to try to go fast. You know, it doesn't make any sense to try to cut a second off your time and end up doing something that's reckless and suddenly you're out of the race and now you're on your way to the hospital. Or if you're traveling and can't ride the course, at least drive the course when you get there. Yeah, I was going to say that you have two options nowadays. You can drive the course and another one that I really encourage people to do, get on Google, get on their street view, get on anything you can, use Google Earth. Find some local guys on YouTube that might have ridden the course for you. That's becoming an increasingly more and more popular idea. Um, I believe it was, was it Augusta this past year that some locals had actually gone out and rode the course with a GoPro? So that way, before you got to the race, you had an idea of what that course looked like. Um, Still, you're watching it through a computer screen, but it's a lot better than not having any clue what you're headed into. Yeah, one of the things I learned was I just rode the course for the Claremont Triathlon I'm doing, and the first part of the course is fairly flat, which I went really fast on, and it was really fun until I got to the first big hill and wanted to die. That actually brings up another great tip, um, Jill, that, that made me laugh when you were talking about this. Know where you're coming out of your transition. If you're coming out of transition onto your bike into a hill... Make sure your bike's in the right gear before you get on it. And that is one thing that is part of transition. We'll do a whole nother podcast about transition. But one of the big things is that a lot of people don't think about is setting your bike to a lower gear to get you started. Yeah, because I watch a lot more than I compete anymore. And I have stood at the end of transition at the bike dismount line, specifically at the Claremont races. And anybody that's done these races are going to know exactly the race I'm talking about. You probably know the hill I'm talking about. I have stood there and I have watched people come out of transition, jump on their bike in the wrong gear, get about halfway up that hill, and I've seen at least three people fall over on the very first hill because they realize, oop, I can't get there, I can't get unclipped, and now I'm on a weird incline and boom, I'm falling down. And granted, it doesn't hurt, but that has to take a shot to your pride, and now you've got to walk up the hill because your gearing's wrong and just... A little bit of preparation would have stopped all that from happening. And consistently, I watch people do it over and over again, where they just hit this hill and you can tell they're not in the right gear. And by the time they reach the top of this relatively short hill, they have completely fried their legs for at least the next two or three miles until they get recovered. And it's a hit to their ego, and it's also, but it does provide entertainment for some of the spectators that know that secret. Oh, I find it hilarious. Believe me, I, I hate to say that because we're all about encouraging people, and I love encouraging everybody to get out there, do your
your best. But at the same time, if you do something goofy like that, that's a very simple mistake that you should know better, I'm probably going to enjoy it more than I should. And I apologize if I've ever laughed at you for any of those types of things. But once you know better, you learn. And believe me, that's a lesson that's learned. Once you do that once, I guarantee you will never do it again. Yes, and the other one, fun one is running out of transition on the run with your bicycle helmet still on. People do that too. <laughs> I have seen that one. I have seen... Uh, my favorite one that I ever saw was the guy that left transition on the run without his shoes. And he took about, I don't know, 100 yards to realize, oh... And it was so funny to see him, like, it finally dawned on him that he did not have his shoes on, turn around and run back to transition to get them. And I will say he did the right thing because three miles, six miles, or any mileage is a long way to run in a triathlon with no shoes. Yeah, even if you've been training to run barefoot, that's that's going to leave a mark. So, yeah, just, just pay attention. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, the other one too, I do want to caution, uh, because of road bikes and this really comes back to something that we're going to probably do a lot of talking around at some point about clipping in and your shoes. Be aware of that when you're coming off the bike at the part of transition, you're tired, you've already swam, you've just had a great ride out there. You're coming into that dismount line. Go ahead and make sure you get your feet unclipped or at least one foot unclipped before you get there. I can't tell you how many people I have seen go down at the bike dismount because they can't get their feet unclipped. And I believe me, I get it. When you come into there, you're tired. But just a little bit of time there is going to keep you from falling over. And usually what happens with that is that little drop right there. You're like, oh, and you get up, you're at, mad at yourself. You don't feel anything until you get about a mile and a half in on that run. And suddenly you're starting to realize, hey, I hit something and it doesn't feel very good. Yes. The best thing to do with that is to actually unclip that foot because you can still pedal with your foot unclipped. Unclip that foot one to 200 yards out from the dismount line because you're going to see it. There's usually people standing there with flags and telling you to slow down. Yeah, believe me, it, it, that little bit of time right there is not going to affect you. If it's going to affect you, you don't need me to tell you that it's going to affect you or how to handle dealing with your shoes. If you're that fast and that competitive, you already know what you're doing. And if you're that fast and competitive, my guess is is that your shoes are staying on the bike anyways. Yeah, which is also fun to watch. I am always impressed with the people that can get them their feet into and out of without taking the shoes off their off their uh, cleats on their pedals. I'm always impressed at their ability to pull that off. But if you're not super confident on that, if you're learning like I am, don't do it on race day until you're super confident. Race day is not the day to figure that out. No, and that rule applies across the board for anything and everything. Don't change something up at the last second, regardless of what it is on your bike. Don't do anything crazy or different. Um, you did bring up something I do want to point out, though, because uh, you did this, and at the time I kind of laughed about it. You were very When you were very first starting to get into getting into your shoes with them still clipped in. I kind of wondered where are you going to go to learn how to do that and what you did I thought was actually ingenious was that you found a location that was a really nice grass area that was flat and you knew it well and that's where you went to practice knowing that okay if I fall over here I'm not going to hurt myself I'm not going to damage my bike and it gives me a chance to to try doing this a few times to see if it's even something that you want to consider doing. Yeah, the grass was definitely helped my confidence, and it just really went well because I wasn't as worried about falling over. So speaking of your bike, as we're kind of headed into this now, we're getting into, I think, the last two components. So before we move off of road bikes in general, and this is a major component of the tri-bike, but I just want to talk a little bit about it. Let's talk about the aero bars, because I know as somebody that doesn't ride with them, I've seen them a lot, but I have questions. The arrow bars just get you more down, more out of the wind, so there's less resistance, and it does make you faster. Now, that said, you know, they are kind of narrow down there. I mean, 
How comfortable, like, for instance, on you, you've been riding an arrow for quite a while now on your bike. I mean, how did you start getting comfortable to even get down there? Because unless you're somebody that's pretty experienced, I certainly wouldn't recommend you get down there and stay down there for real long until you're ready. So I started on flat ground and just started with a minute and build up from there. Okay, now, I mean, you can stay down there pretty long. And I do notice, um, this is always pretty interesting. I think this is more on the tribe bike we're getting into. Uh, I know a lot of time people actually put their shifters out on the end of their aero bars. On a tri bike, the shifters are. Aero bars are not standard on a road bike like mine, and that's why they don't have shifters. There's same thing with aero bars. There's carbon aero bars and aluminum aero bars, just like there are bikes. And it's just what you want to invest. So let's go ahead and take that last step, stop on there, because you just mentioned as well. So we're talking about a tri bike. I mean, that's a bike specifically meant for triathlons. They're what they're meant to be a little more aero, a little more leaner. I guess if there was an example of like a sports car version that's just meant for pure speed, that would be the triathlon bike. It would be, and it is actually going to be heavier than some road bikes. Like my road bike weighs sixteen pounds. The triathlon bike I'm going to eventually get is going to weigh about 19 pounds just because there's a little bit more material to make it more aero and it's going to, and the way it rolls. Right. So, I mean, and now that one is really meant for the people who are getting very serious. And of course, the big advantage of that, and I think this gets into a little bit of the aero bars, that if you can't really stay down there in aero, that bike really doesn't benefit you at that point because it's meant for you to ride in that very low position. It's meant for you to ride an arrow. That's why the shifters are there. There are no shifters on the handlebars. Most people sit up mainly to turn on those. And I think that's a big piece of this. With When you start talking about that bike, because that is sort of the top end of the top end, at that point, you need to be extremely comfortable on the bike or a bike. You need to have done a lot of riding. You need to know yourself inside out, know how you feel down there. That is certainly not a bike you ever want to begin with. And it's also about flexibility and core strength because you need the core strength to be in that aero position and the flexibility. Because one of the things that bike also does is the way it's built is it saves your quads and hamstrings for the run. Yeah, your abs are not going to be your best friend on that bike. The best thing you can do, though, is that if you get that far in triathlons and really get interested, put aero bars on your road bike for a while and get used to it. Yeah, and I think that's just a good idea. I mean, that was one of the big pieces even as you're going through this. You even now, on a trail such as like the Van Fleet that's down here in Florida, which is 30 miles, and I think it inclines maybe, what, 10 feet from start to finish. It's probably the flattest trail in in Florida. Mm -hmm. Even when you're riding, you don't stay down an arrow all the time now. I mean, you're still working up and progressing to be able to do that. Absolutely. It is a process, and I am still working on it. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's still going to take you time to get there. So one final piece I do want to touch on, because I think people do have a question about this when they talk about the road bikes. What are they looking for in wheels? Is there something different about that? Because you know, you'll see some of the wheels are complete. Some of them are sort of the are fatter at the top. Some of them are very thin. Why don't we, you want to touch just a little bit on kind of what's going on with there and, and what people should be looking for? Yeah, wheels are a great thing. It's probably the second thing I would tell you to invest to upgrade your bike. The first is the electronic shifting, just because I think it's amazing. But there are different types of wheels. Some of the higher end wheels are actually made of carbon and are deep dish. So the deep dish make you more aero and faster on the wheels. And the carbon wheels, like a carbon bike, just adds more smoothness to the ride and more speed. And one, one, one sort of, I guess, last piece of this before we move on. Do not ever underestimate the importance of lights. We talk about it all the time. Safety, safety, safety. Get your helmet right. 
Put lights on the bike. Doesn't matter whether it's a triathlon bike, you're riding in a triathlon only, or if you're going to be on a road bike, you're going to be at night, or it's a hybrid, you're riding here across town. Get good lights and put it on there. Be safe. Make sure you are being seen. Do not ride completely in the dark. Definitely don't ride on the road at night in the complete dark. Be aware of what's going on. If you're out there before the sun is up, make sure you're taking safety first. And honestly, most of the lights that are coming out now actually have daytime running lights just like a car. So you should have your lights on all the time. Because they say most bicycle accidents actually take place during the day because the cyclists aren't seen as much and people aren't looking for them as much. Yeah, and the other part of that too, speaking of not looking for them, we've had uh, quite a few happen down here in Florida that have been very bad. And there's been two causes lately that have been really the problem around a lot of the bike ped crashes we've seen. One is people illegally riding the wrong way on a road. Don't do that. Pay attention. Ride with traffic. Don't ride against it. Pay attention to all your traffic laws. And the other one, if you're riding towards the sun and it's in your eyes and you can't see real well, believe me, the car behind you equally is not going to be able to see real well. And that also means they're probably not trying to see you. They're probably just trying to make sure they stay on the road. So be aware of where you're at. Pay attention to where that sun is. And just always be thinking, am I in a safe place, yes or no, on the bike? What could go wrong here? And try to just eliminate as many of those danger things as you possibly can to be safe out there. And I am going to go back to one thing you said about obeying the traffic laws. Yes, we know cars don't always stop at stop signs and run red lights, but be a good cyclist. Do all that stuff. And you are a vehicle if you're on the road. And let's make people like us. If you see a stop sign and you're in the road, that stop sign applies to you. Same way as the red light. You know, and I understand sometimes it's a pain to clip out and have to slow down, but pay attention to laws. Let's make sure that everybody around us is happy with us. You know, the, the whole great thing about cycling is it really is a community. And the the more and more we can do that, the better the things we can do about getting outreach and making sure that we're obeying the laws and the drivers aren't getting mad at us. That's going to only help us in the long run. So do those types of things. Keep your eyes out there. Be safe. And just make sure you're making smart decisions all around. end today with our technical tip. Now our technical tip this week is a little bit different and it's probably one of the things that it makes me laugh the most because as Jill's going to explain in a moment, no matter how many times you've done this, no matter how good you get at doing this, you will make a mistake and everybody is going to enjoy a little bit of a chuckle at your expense. So Jill, let's talk a little bit about clipping in. Clipping in, I remember when I got my first road bike and you and I talked about this, and we were like, we are never going to be those people. That- Absolutely not. I am never going to fall over on my bike with my clips on. No, I don't think we even wanted to clip in at first. No, I still don't particularly like clipping in, even now. Matter of fact, I don't have clip-ins on my mountain bike still to this day. I do not. I ride my mountain bike aggressive and hard, and I do not clip in on that. But I clip in on the road bike. So there are many benefits of clipping in. Before. So don't think you don't want to clip in. It makes the ride so much more fun being attached to that bike. And the way you can spin is amazing. Yeah, think of it this way. If you picture, if you were to stand up right now and stomp on something, you can stomp on it all day long and you're doing great. But at the same time, now just take and do a high knee and pick your leg up. As you're picking your leg up right there, that's a motion. And if you're clipped in, guess what? When you're picking that leg up, you're getting help. So if you're riding without clips... All you're doing is stomping down on pedals all day long, and you're only getting half the benefit you could be getting. 
with that clip in, it does make it incredibly smoother and a lot uh, more friendly on your legs to ride. Yep. So you're going to need three things when you decide you want to do this on the bike. You're going to need specific pedals, shoes, and what's called a cleat. And that's what goes on the bottom of the shoe that attaches to your pedals. Right. So don't try to get this on your own if you haven't done it before. Go to your specialty bike shop. Tell them you're ready to take a look at cleats. They'll walk you through the entire thing because there's a lot of variety out there. You've actually got different types of cleats, whether you're mountain biking or whether you're road biking. And they, they operate slightly differently. And take the time to get used to them and make sure you understand exactly how you get out of them, more importantly. Yeah, don't wait for your local group ride. If you think you can clip in and think it's going to be the same thing getting out because it's not. Ask your local bike shop to show you. They are more than happy to put you on a trainer and teach you. And then if you want to practice at home, best thing I have done, heard to do is go between two doorways so you have your hands on the door. Yeah, and just practice clipping in and clipping out. Now, there's two things about clipping in and clipping out that no matter what you do, you need to remember. First one, if you are moving, do not unclip both feet. That will be a disastrous time because you are not going to easily get either one of those feet back in. And if you're going at any speed and you unclip both feet, you're not going to be able to pedal either. And just don't do that. That's that's a huge, like, absolutely not. Never, ever unclip both feet while you are moving. Absolutely agreed. And the second one, which is where the hilarity ensues, you will fall over. I guarantee you no matter what you do, no matter how often you ride or how long you ride... You're going to fall over. Yeah, you're going to lose your balance. The first time I fell, I lost my balance stopping at a stop sign. And I've lost my balance also trying to hit the button for the crosswalk signal. Yeah, I fell three times the first day I had them. Two of them were me being very angry at myself. And then the third time happened within 15 seconds of the second time. And I actually just laid on the ground kind of looking at the sky going, really, I can't believe I just did that twice in a row. And I have still fallen since then. Kind of like Jill just said, doing something stupid or not paying attention or I didn't get my foot out like I thought I did. I remember it wasn't very long ago, actually. We came up to stop. I got my foot out, put my foot down. And for whatever reason, I leaned too far back to the other side that was not unclipped. And right over I went. And I remember hitting the ground and just laying there. And the first thought was, way to go, Keith. You're an idiot. Yes, I was going to mention that as well, that it's very easy to not want to have to unclip both feet reaching for that traffic signal or whatever you're doing, thinking you can handle it. And you lean too far over. Gravity does take over. You do have your bike and yourself. Yep. And so this is the one part of that I do want to say, because this is actually important. As much as we know you're going to fall, and it happens to everybody, so when it does, get up, brush it off, laugh it off, keep moving. The one important safety piece of that, it's not a very far drop. You're not going to catch yourself. Do not, do not, do not put your hand out like you're going to. That is an easy way to break your wrist or sprain a wrist. Just don't do it. As much as I know you want to, you're better off to take the fall. You know, let your arm sort of catch it as if you're trying to, like, you're going to roll almost like you're doing like a sideways somersault. Take the fall down that way. Go ahead and fall on your, your arm and your shoulder and take the hit. Do not, do not, do not put your arm out trying to catch yourself. You're not going to handle your body weight, the bike, and all of that coming down on top of it at once. It's a real easy way to see a lot of people hurt their wrist. That is a good point. 
Just fall. It happens. It doesn't hurt, honestly. No, it'll hurt more your pride than anything because you're going to lay there going, well, did anybody see that? And you're going to see people laughing. And most of the time, it's people that are on a bike and they're not laughing at you. They're Most of us are probably laughing at the fact of, yep, we've been there. We know exactly what you did and we understand completely why you're a little bit mad at yourself right now. Yes, and... It's just part of the game. Everybody knows that. And it happens. I have actually seen uh, professionals, triathletes that are very well-experienced riders, make that mistake and fall over. You know, So don't just think, oh, it means I'm a novice, I don't know what I'm doing. Nope, I have seen everything from elites in the top of the world all the way down to you know, a kid on the, there for his first time. Everybody does it. Just go ahead and take the fall, laugh it off, get up, figure out how they work, and get clipped in and ready to go again. And... Don't think you're too young or too old to clip in. I just, one of my friend's 11-year-olds is asking about clipping in. I have absolutely nothing to add to that other than I'm glad to see there's an 11-year-old that wants to get out there on the bike and is interested in doing that as opposed to jumping on an Xbox or a PlayStation. Absolutely. I think that's great to see. Definitely encourage the kid to get out there and do this. Um, It's fun. And you can really have a great time out there. And, of course, you're going to get a little exercise out of it and all those other things that you need to do, too. So uh, pay attention to that. Talk to your people about your specialty clips. Oh, one thing I do want to point out. Actually, I'm going to let Jill explain it because I honestly don't remember exactly what they are. Clips are not permanent. They need to get changed out just like you would change your tires or anything else. What is the rule on clips? How do I know when I need to go ahead and change those? You're going to notice that you're going to start having trouble getting in and out of your pedals that you haven't had before. And you can look at the bottom and you can see that it doesn't look new, that some of the plastic's starting to get worn off. And you'll know. It's the best way I can say because when you start having trouble, that's when it's time. Yep. And, of course, like everything else that we talk about, do not buy new pedals race day. That is a terrible idea. Make sure you have ridden at least four or five times in them. Be comfortable with them. Even if they are something you do all the time, get the new ones on there and just go out in the yard and clip in a bunch of times before the race. Don't don't make it day one that you're trying to get in there in the middle of transition when you got a hundred other things going on. I almost guarantee if you do that, you're going to fall. I agree. And don't make brace day your first day of clipping in. I've heard of people that have done that, but that is one more stress to add to your race day that you don't need. Right. And I mean, that's the biggest takeaway from this. Well, we thank you very much for joining us. We hope that you learned some cool stuff about bikes and had some fun along the way as we talk through this. Uh, definitely learned some cool stuff about clipping in. And uh, make sure that you know, you're following along with us. We're going to continue to do these. We're trying to keep them fun. We certainly welcome feedback from everybody. Let us know what you think and follow us uh, wherever you're finding our podcast on. Like us. Help us get up in the ranks. Comment. You can always reach out to us. Jill, what's the best way for people to find us? They can find us on our website at swimbikeruntheplanet.com. And our email is swimbikeruntheplanet at gmail.com. Instagram as well. You can be sure to get on there and follow Jill. Yep, my Instagram handle is loves to try dot eighty two. And she's a fun one. She's always up there doing something. So feel free to tag along with that. Uh, be sure to check out the blogs too on our website. Uh, Jill's actually doing something that's really cool. And let's just take a minute to explain that because I think this you got this from somebody else, but it's such a neat idea that I think can help people in every aspect of their life. Yes, my coach was on a podcast and she talked about one of the pros that every day, regardless of whether it was a rest day, training day or whatever, she wrote down what is 
her training and she wrote down three goals and three opportunities and three positives of the day. And one of the things I really liked about that was she didn't put negatives. She put opportunities, which I think in this world, we need to look at things as opportunities because we get so impatient with ourselves or so frustrated with ourselves when we're not getting faster or doing something as fast as we think we should. I think that's great advice, Jill. So everybody, please follow along, tag us, subscribe on with us, hang out with us. Let us know how we're doing. We really do sincerely care. And the biggest goal of this entire podcast and everything that we do is to just help and encourage everybody that's out there. We want you to get involved. We want you to get out there on a bike, get out there on a lake, do all the fun things. In fact, we're going to give you a little sneak peek for what's going to be our next episode. We're actually taking a step out of the triathlon world altogether. Uh, One of the reasons that we have been kind of slack in the last couple of weeks was a new purchase we got, I got a kayak and Jill actually got a stand up paddleboard for some additional cross training and working out. And I think what may be great, and this may actually be coming on part of our YouTube channel as well, we're going to spend a little bit of time probably talking about the benefits of, you know, kayaking, being on the water, some safety tips, and some of the different things around that sort of that world just to help everybody know a little bit more about it. That sounds great. And we have been having a great time on the paddleboard and kayak. And our next podcast, we'll look forward to sharing some of our adventures with you guys. So sounds great, everybody. This is Keith, and I'm going to be wrapping up. I'm going to hand it to Jill for final words. And thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it, and we will see you out there.